All right, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. We are continuing our plod, uh, slow plod, through the book of Acts. And, and now, really, we have reached what many have called the climax of Paul's ministry. He is concluding his earthly ministry. He's taking a final lap to visit all of the churches that he had planted during his first, second, and third ministry uh, uh, missionary journeys. And what I see this morning and what I hope you see is, is that saying goodbye is hard. Okay, there are times where, where we have to say goodbye to somebody. There are times when there is a separation in the ministry. And, and there's this, this heartbreak, especially if we realize that we'll never see that person again. And Paul is going to say, share some very tender moments with a, a church leadership team that he personally had planted from the city of Ephesus. In fact, a group of pastors that he had raised up, a group of elders that he had personally discipled. And he calls them to himself, and he's, he's going to have some tender moments. In fact, there is a sermon that is recorded that we're going to look at. It is the only sermon in the book of Acts that is given and delivered specifically to believers and more specifically to church shepherds. And this message is supremely important. As I look at it for my own personal calling in ministry here and as our elders in ministry here, and I'll tell you the truth, throughout the course of this week, I have really wrestled with this text because I'm like, how applicable or how much of a felt need is it for you as an average attender to think about the importance of shepherding ministry and pastoral ministry and eldership? And then as I thought about it, it's very important. It's actually the most important discussion. What does it look like for us to have godly leadership and shepherds over us as a, as a flock uh, of God's church? And so we are going to look at that. This particular sermon, though, reads just like one of Paul's epistles. He's going to give you his personal testimony. He's going to give you some teaching principles. He's going to wrap up with some of his testimony. And then there's going to be hugs and tears, and, and we'll see that as we go. So look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We are starting in verse 17. It says in the text, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So for us to just orient our minds to where Paul is located, guess what we're going to look at? A map. Here we are. Paul is in the city of Miletus. I have a laser pointer this, this week. There he is. He is in the city of... <laughs> it is the little things. Doesn't that make all the difference? You're sitting here like, wow, last week was rough, but he has a laser pointer this week. So... Here he is, he's in the city of Miletus. Paul has just completed a, a massive missionary journey. He started off in the city of Antioch. He went all the way through the cities of Galatia, up through Asia, on into Greece. He went down into Corinth. He came all the way back. As you remember last week, there was a plan to have Paul killed aboard a boat. And so he took the foot train. He went all the way from Philippi to Troas down to Miletus. He skipped the city of Ephesus on purpose, and he sends messengers from Miletus a two or about a one-day journey up to the city of Ephesus to invite all the elders down. And so it takes about two or three days for these elders to arrive at the city of, of Miletus. And I think it's interesting to understand who Paul is calling for. It says in the text that he is calling for the elders. And other parts of the sermon, he will call them overseers or shepherds. And, and what's important for us to see is he's referring to a specific 
office in the church. Now, in the city of Ephesus, there were multiple churches, most likely house churches, and over each one of those ministries, there was a pastor, shepherd, and most likely a group of elders and overseers. And so he essentially is hosting a pastor's conference. And Paul the Apostle is the keynote speaker. I'll tell you, out of all of the pastor conferences I've been to, I would give anything to go to one keynote spe- spoken by, by Paul the Apostle. That would be pretty sweet. And so we look at verse 18. It says, and when they, who is they? The elders, the, the pastors, the shepherds, when they came to him, he said to them, and he speaks from his own testimony, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. He's like, you know my pattern of ministry. You know how I exemplified pastoral ministry. Verse 19, he says, serving the Lord with what? All what? With all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. I think it's fascinating that Paul had spent much time in the city of Ephesus. In fact, we find out he spent three years there. And over that course of ministry, people got to know who he really is. And that's the reality. Uh, You know, you can say you are one type of person, but over time, we, we get to know who we are. Isn't that the truth? You get to know who a person really is. And Paul's like, over the past three years, you've seen my model of ministry that I have served the Lord. In fact, that word serve, is, it's a Greek word. It means he's a bond slave. He's like, look, I have been a slave of Christ in and among you. And I have served the Lord with all humility. Now I'll tell you, if you're looking for something in a leader, you need to look for humility. Pride is one of the most toxic uh, toxic representatives or toxic uh, parts of somebody's life. Humility. It's a mon- modest and honest view of self. He did it with tears and trials. He faced hardship on behalf of the flock. And, and it says in the text that he literally faced unbelievable adversity. And Paul says, look, I, I faced all of that. I faced tears and trials. I faced being stoned and being attacked. And all the while, I never, I never shrunk back. It says here in verse 20, he says, You yourselves know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house and testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and the faith. Paul's like, look, no matter how difficult it got, no matter how trying, no matter the criticism or the cultural antagonism, Paul declares, I did not shrink back. In fact, he goes on to say, That he declared, he taught, and he testified to the truth. That is all representative of the ministry that Paul did in Asia. He testified to the Gospels. He proclaimed to both Jews and Gentiles, you must turn from unbelief to faith in Christ. And as I look at that, as I think of that concept of shrinking back, there is so much pressure in our culture today for us to do exactly that. To pull back. In fact, as I think about culture, uh, we, are, we are pressured to pretend as if all religions lead to God, that all faith systems or lack thereof are all good. We are told to keep Jesus to ourselves. We are told to keep the Bible to ourselves. We are told that it's fine if you worship. Make sure you do it in the cloistering away of your own life. Don't bring it out here into the, into the open culture. But we cannot. We cannot allow cultural pressure or people's tender sensibilities to dictate our message. We must share the message of Jesus. 
And Paul's like, I faced all kinds of criticism. I faced all kinds of attacks. In fact, as he references the, the city of Ephesus and other places, he says, I faced attacks of wild animals. And he was speaking of the, the Gentiles and the Jews who attacked him. We must declare the scriptures. We must testify. And I, as I look at that, I look in our personal life. We must talk about Jesus. We must teach the scriptures in our everyday life. But how much more so in the church? Family, if we are shrinking back in the pulpit, we are going to be hiding in culture. Did you hear that? If we are shrinking back, if we're pulling back in the pulpit, we're going to be hiding out in culture. The most important thing about me is Jesus. The most important thing in my life is the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And he was buried and he is risen. I've placed my faith in him. And I, I put my life, I build my life on his scripture. There's absolutely nothing more important than that. Paul says, look, I didn't shrink back. In fact, Paul's like, I not only did not shrink back, I'm actually heading towards suffering. Verse 22, my favorite verse in the entire study. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except I know this, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. How many of you are heading for Jerusalem when you know that's coming? Like I read that and I'm going, okay, so I'm going anywhere but Jerusalem. Right? Like if you know that you are heading for afflictions and imprisonment, what, is your tip, what would your response be? Don't go. In fact, this is what's going to be heartbreaking. We're going to see this at every port city that Paul stops off on his way to Jerusalem. Everybody's like, don't go, Paul. You are going to be arrested. You are going to be imprisoned. You're most likely going to suffer and die for the gospel. But look at what Paul says in verse 24. He says, in all of that, all that is awaiting me, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is the most important thing to Paul? What's the most important thing? Finishing the course, testifying to the gospel. Y'all are saying it. His, the most important thing to Paul was not his very life. And as I think about that, I wrestle with that because I spend so much time trying to preserve my life, trying to establish comfort for my life, then I read something like this, and I'm like, I'm supposed to lay my life down. In fact, it's very reminiscent of what Jesus said, that those who try to save their life will lose their life. Those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel will find true life. Or as Paul says in Romans 12, that we are to lay our life down as a living sacrifice. Paul says, look, I'm not just a preacher of the Christian life, I'm living it. It is one thing to preach it, it is entirely another thing to live it. And so Paul then turns tenderly to his gathered group of elders and shepherds whom he just informed that he's going to be imprisoned, he's going to be afflicted, and that nothing is more important to him than the gospel. Verse 25, he says, look, and now behold, I know, I know this, that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. What is that? What do you feel when you read that? It's a sense of sadness, isn't it? 
Paul's like, I will never see you again. And when I think of the last moments I spend with something, somebody, every word they say is important. I'm listening all the more because I'm going, this is the last time we will be able to speak. And so Paul says in verse 27, since this is the last time that I'm going to see you, I testify to you this, I'm innocent of the blood of all. In fact, I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God to you. Twice now he has mentioned this, this shrinking back, this pulling back. He says, look, I'm innocent. And when he says I'm innocent of all blood, what he means by that is he's preached in such a way that there is no longer room for excuses. That there's never going to be a person who heard Paul preach who could then say, I've never heard the gospel. Paul's like, I'm innocent of all blood. I have preached the full counsel of God's word. In fact, as I read that, I think that must be the driving motivation of all pastoral ministry. My job is not to entertain you. My job, my responsibility calling is not to tickle our fancies and, and to give us words that just build us, that make us feel good all the time. Because I'll tell you the truth, there are times where I read the word of God and it doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel things like conviction. It makes me feel this sense of greater responsibility that I've been purchased at a price and I need to lay my life down. And so as I, I think of Paul's final words, he's like, I've not shrunk back from declaring the whole counsel of God's word. I, I read a statement this week from another pastor, another shepherd, who is, who's been with the Lord for some time. But he wrote these words, and I think this is so applicable. J. Vernon McGee says this, As I write this, I'm a retired preacher. I have made many blunders and have failed in many ways. I love that. Because I'm like, I can relate to that. <laughs> but as I look back on my ministry, I can say truthfully that when I stood in the pulpit, I declared the word of God as I saw it. I have the deep satisfaction of knowing that if I went back to any pulpit which I have held, I haven't a thing to add to what I have already said. I don't mean I couldn't say it in a better way, but the important thing is that I've declared the whole counsel of God. I've always believed that the important issue is to get out the entire word of God. How many of y'all want a pastor like that? Right? How many of y'all want elders like that? That our driving ambition, our calling, is to get out the entire counsel of God's word and to feed as I read that, I, I resonate with that sentiment. My driving ambition is to teach every principle, every passage, every promise of God's word withholding nothing. And that is why, as you will notice, I am very dedicated to the at times tedious process of verse by verse exposition. We study God's word in the context of his word. Amen? So as he turns in verse 28, he then turns his attention to his shepherds. He's like, okay, guys, now this is my testimony. This is how I've lived my life. And I can just imagine he's like inviting them, following my footsteps. In verse 28, he says, now pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. I find it fascinating that he isolates first, pay close attention to yourself. Pastors, shepherds, leaders need to first and primarily feed themselves. We need to be students of God's word. I need to have a growing relationship with God. It is so tempting to spend all of our time focused on feeding others to the neglect of our own soul. It reminds me when I'm on an airplane. How many of you enjoy flying? I hate it. Okay, good. Um, 
I just, because uh, I'm convinced it's going to crash. I mean, that's just what's going through my head. Anyway, um, I mean, I don't mean that. If any of you are flying this week, be encouraged. God's love and mercy reaches to the heavens. You are safe. <laughs> Some of you are like, why did he bring that up? But you'll notice in the spiel, you know, that spiel where they're like, oh, you'll be safe. There's a flotation device. I'm like, it's not going to help at all. Anyway, so they're telling you when the oxygen masks fall. And I pass out from just utter sheer shock. Anyway, when it falls, you're supposed to put the mask on who first? Yourself first and then your children. Why do they tell you that? Because your natural inclination, your natural posture is going to be first to provide for the little ones and then to provide for self. But chances are in the process of doing that, you pass out and you're of help to nobody. And the same is in the, when it comes to the leadership of the church. It is one thing for me to feed you, but I need to feed myself first. I need to eat. I need to spend time with God's word. Our shepherds and elders need to spend time with God so we have actually something of benefit to give you so that we don't pass out in the process. And so Paul's saying, look, make sure you care for the flock in which the Holy Spirit, I want you to really listen to that. To hear that. It is the Holy Spirit that has made us overseers to care for the church of God. Who appoints leadership in the church? What does the scripture say? Now, it has become very in vogue to, to talk negatively about church leadership. It's very easy to sit over a cup of coffee or a plate of SpaghettiOs or whatever you eat and to have negative conversations and be like, oh, these church leaders, who is it that sets the leadership of the church? In many people's estimation, it's man who does. But let me stress, it is the Holy Spirit. I have been called to this position. I tried to avoid it. Like, you ever see, heard the story of Jonah? He's like, I'm running. God's like, I'm swallowing and puking you up on a beach and you will preach. And from my own personal experience, I can tell you it is the Holy Spirit that has called me to this position. He goes on to say, it is the Holy Spirit who's made you overseers to do what for the church of God? To shepherd, to care for the church of God. The church of God that was purchased with God's blood. I would love to spend time with pastors and remind them and us and elders and shepherds, we are tending after something that was purchased with the blood of Christ. This is not just some ordinary organization. That you, we, us, we have all been purchased by the blood of Christ. Some observations. It is the Holy Spirit that appoints leaders and elders. We are first and primary to care for the shepherd or care for the flock and shepherd the sheep to care for God's church. It always bristles my feathers when I hear somebody say, yeah, my church. This isn't my church. Okay, let me, <laughs> I'm standing on a platform. That's uncomfortable. This isn't my church. This isn't the elder's church. I'm very much a part of the flock. So as I sit here, I realize this is Jesus's church. Isn't it? Is this not Jesus' church? This isn't my church. It's just a place where, this is an a, a office that I serve in. But we're the body. We're the flock. And so Paul goes on to say, you're to care for Jesus' church. 
you are to nourish Jesus' church, but you're also to protect. Because in the ancient Near East, and he's using this, this picture of a shepherd and sheep, in the ancient Near East, if you were a shepherd, you not only cared for sheep, but you protected them. Because there were, there were wolves, and there were all kinds of attacks and thieves that were trying to come against your flock. That's why in verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What is Paul's fear here? What's that? He's scared. You see the fear in him? This anxiety? He's like, I know when I depart, there's going to be fierce wolves, and they're not going to care about the sheep. They're going to, destroy, they're going to want to devour the sheep. He goes on to say, and from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. We have the church here pictured as a pasture with sheep. If you know anything about sheep, they're kind of helpless. You ever seen a sheep defend itself? It's like, bah! And it is the shepherd's job to care for. And some of you are like, so you're calling me sheep? Yes, we are sheep. And we do need to be shepherded. We do need to be led. We do need to be cared for. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. It's the heartfelt ministry. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul stresses, do not flee from the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. A church that does not primarily teach and preach faithfully God's word or sets out to distort it are dangerous and deadly. There is so much false teaching today. One of our primary jobs is, is to protect and to care for you by giving you truth and to point out the distortions. There are so many times when people will come into the church hoping to profit from her or to take from her or to distort the teaching of the church. And it is our primary job to ensure that the church is protected because not only are there people, but really there is an enemy of the church. Who is the enemy family? Satan. Now, some of us might want to like roll our eyes. I'm sure there's satanic Well, there is. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And who do you think he devours first? The weak? And those who are on the periphery? And it is our responsibility as elders and shepherds to protect the sheep. Paul then returns back to his personal testimony. Gosh, I wish this was true of our churches. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. It's such a sad misuse of the church to profit gain and wealth through ministry. I see it all the time today. Pastors, church leaders, dripping in gold, fine suits, and I look at that, and I'm going, there's a distortion. The church is not to be a prophet. And so Paul, even though he had every right to secure resources through the ministry, he set out to work with his own hands. In fact, verse 34, he says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul's like, look, I worked. You could see the calluses on his hands. He was a tent maker by trade. 
And so he goes on to say, in all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself, it is more blessed to do what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And as I read that, I'm like, really? Is it more blessed to give? Have you ever received? It's pretty awesome. And what I find fascinating about that statement, this is the only place in the New Testament it's recorded. We don't find these words of Jesus anywhere in the Gospels. So here's a common statement of Christ, caught up in this final sermon, where Paul says, when you work hard, and you pour yourself into not only the ministry, but to vocation, to work and provision, you get this wonderful blessing of giving resources away. And we get to discover the great blessing in giving as opposed to receiving. And so we get a really good picture of pastors and elders and shepherds, overseers. Humble servants, not shrinking back from the word, teaching and preaching faithfully, caring for and protecting the flock, working hard, not seeking gold and silver, but faithful ministry. And so here's a beautiful pastoral message. And I want to strongly encourage you, as you read through this, as you consider this, consider who you follow. Consider who your leaders are. And if you look at the leadership of any ministry and you say, you know what, I can't follow that ministry. I can't follow those leaders. Then find a church where you can. And if your statement is, well, I can't find a church. I don't trust anybody. I'm not going to follow anybody. I can't trust any leaders. And my strong argument to you is, you're probably walking in just disobedience. There's a heart issue. Because as I read through this, I look at it and I'm going, no, we're not. I'm like, dude, I'm in process, man. I'm, gosh, I'm trying to grow in these areas. If you think you're going to find a perfect leader or leadership out there, sadly mistaken. But I do encourage you to find a church where you can follow, be cared for, and be protected. Verse 36, when he said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them all, and there was this weeping. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And so the shepherds circle Paul, they hug one another. Paul hops aboard a ship, it says they accompanied him to the ship. They went back to Ephesus, and they continued the work of the ministry. Paul is making his final lap. To Jerusalem. We know that trials, adversity, and imprisonment awaits him. He is soon to feel its sting, but not quite yet. So here's some applications for us today. The first application is we can't shrink back. I understand that in our culture, people don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to see pictures of Bibles. They don't want to see crosses, nor have to be confronted with the Ten Commandments, or any scripture for that matter. Unless there are some scriptures. Anyway, we'll get into that later. But we live in a culture that doesn't want any of it. We're, we're told to keep Jesus to ourselves in our offices, at school, and in the community. And at, at times, that pressure to keep the gospel and Christ to ourselves can lead us to remaining quiet. In fact, truth be told, I have often felt that it's far easier to remain quiet and try to exemplify Jesus with my life than to actually speak the words of Christ in the scripture. It is clear that Paul preached both with his life and with his mouth. 
we need to share Jesus. And I want to strongly encourage you, as you feel that pressure to keep quiet, I want to encourage you to not shrink back. To share the testimony of what Christ has done of your, in your life. To share the scriptures. It was interesting, this past week, I was at the local recreation center, and there was a group of youth, and there was a whole lot of police officers. And so I was like, okay, so there's an issue. So I, I roll in, because I'm just downright curious, and these students were, were speaking pretty poorly of the police officers. In fact, one of the students decided to say an interesting phrase to one of the police officers, and I was like, hey, bro. That's kind of a disrespectful thing to say, especially coming from the mouth of somebody who's 15 or whatever. And then he turned to me and he said, I'll punch you right in the face. And he weighed probably 85 pounds. <laughs> so immediately my thought was just the general physics of the exchange. And I was kind of looking at him and, uh, you know, talking to him and, and just encouraging him that wherever he was at in his mind at that moment, there was a better place to be, and so I, I started spending time. I walked inside, and the whole recreational center, they were like, what were you talking to them about, and weren't you nervous? And I was like, no, not really. And then I saw them gathered back up, so I went back out and started talking to them again. Because my, my thought is, they, they need Jesus. Okay, here's a group of students. It'd be so easy to write them off and to just totally say, oh, they're just a bunch of hooligans or hoodlums. And I'm like, I was that hoodlum. So anyway, I'm going out there, and I'm talking to them. And I recognize one of the students from Firewheel. And I went, dude, you go to Firewheel. And immediately his statement was, no, I don't. Uh-uh, maybe my brother does. I was like, you don't have a brother. <laughs> anyway, it's very easy to shrink back, especially when we're, we're giving way to pressure. I want to encourage us to not shrink back. If somebody comes to you and says, I hear you're a Jesus follower, I want to strongly encourage you to say, yes, I am. And let me tell you why. I follow this Jesus. In fact, I encourage you to start the conversation. Secondly, shepherds and sheep. When Paul gathered the church, leaders at Ephesus, his goal was to provide last-minute instruction to those appointed to shepherding and leading of the church. Today, I stand in that ancient office. As do our elders and delegated authority leaders here at the church, I want to remind you that if you are in a place of leadership, it is something that has been delegated and appointed by the Holy Spirit. If you have a desire to be a leader in the church, it is a very admirable desire. And I want to encourage you to put yourself in places where you can be discipled, where you can grow, and maybe one day you'll stand in an ancient office of shepherd and overseer and elder. It's a very admirable, admirable desire. It's not an easy calling. I'll stress that it's first to be a servant. We are set apart to serve and care and protect, for the, protect the flock. It's not a, a calling we, we take lightly. And so I strongly encourage you as a church to continually lift up your pastor and your shepherds and your elders in prayer, and then also with your, with your mouth and with your, with your statements, your thinking. You know, it's hard for me when I hear people trash churches and leadership. It's just so easy to do. Uh, if you've come from a church where maybe you've been hurt and you're prone to talk about the pastor and the shepherds, I want to encourage you, be careful with that. In fact, stop doing that. You don't know how hard it is. It's so easy to look in on pastoral leadership and eldership and think it's so easy. It's not. It's good. I'm not complaining. But I want to strongly encourage you to support your leaders. Can we amen that? 
All right. And then finally, it is better to give. I'm still wrestling with that one. Uh, Paul says it. Jesus is the one who, who is originally the one to coin it. It's better to give than to receive. Oh, well, here's the deal. I see in the scriptures, it's admirable to work hard with your hands. And so I want to encourage you, you who are going to work tomorrow morning or maybe throughout the week as you work, it's so easy to look at the job as a grind, but I want to encourage you to see it as a ministry. Work hard with your hands. Work hard with your mind. Work hard in the different places God places you and then see it as a conduit and the ability to then give. It's such a joy to give. Some of our happiest saints are the giving saints because it's such a thrill to just give it away and to watch it bless others. And so with that in mind, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures today. We thank you for the edification that they offer. We thank you, Lord, for our leadership and for the ministry that you've, you've set forth for us to do. Lord, I thank you for the, the privilege I have every single week to stand and to teach your word. Uh, Lord, I pray personally that, that I would be um, a man of you that would be worthy of following ask for forgiveness for the times where I've distorted uh, the ministry for my own devices. And I pray for that, that uh, humility in my heart to be a servant first and foremost. I pray that for our elders, for our shepherds and leaders. I pray for those that you are, you are now sharpening and training, that they too would have a heart of, of service and humility. I pray that we would not shrink back in a generation that tells us that they don't want to hear about you. I pray all the more we preach you. And then as I think of you, Jesus, you are the greatest giver. You gave your life. You've given us freely of the Holy Spirit. And now we are blessed to be givers too. If you are here today and you have not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he gave his life for you. His desire is that you would receive him and trust in him as your Savior. If that is your heart's desire in the quietness, that quiet place, alone with your own thoughts, Tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried, and I believe you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares you've just passed from death to life. You are forever in the hand of God, and nothing can pry you from his grip. Welcome to the family. We love you, Jesus. We desire to be more like you. Please, please, Jesus lead us, guide us, direct us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together because it is time. Stretch out. Very good. A couple hallelujahs. Yeah, there we go. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now go tell the world, go proclaim to the world, go demonstrate for the world that they are too. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.